0: So that we've, as I said, we've been working our way through this core value of mission. And this means that we, uh, as a church, the people that call First City Church home, we are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. As individuals, we are, we are committed to seeking out opportunities to share the gospel. We are committed to teach others what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And it means that our that our small groups, our gospel communities, they are open. They are they are they are in a position where they're drawing others in, inviting others in, so that we we can teach people what it, what it means for a community of people to live as the family of God. And it also means that we, as a church, are committed to church planting. We want to send people out to plant gospel-centered, missional churches. Now, it's one thing for us to talk about mission. And it's another thing for us to actually live it out. In 2012, there was an organization called Lifeway. They surveyed Christians that regularly attend church. And with this survey, they found 80% of churchgoers agreed with the statement I have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians. But the survey also found most of those people are not actually doing it. Why? Well, there are multiple, multiple reasons for us. Many of us will say things like, If I had more knowledge. If I was more of an extrovert. If I could connect better with people who were different than me, then I would be more prone to engage the mission of making disciples. Now, I don't want to dismiss those things entirely, but I also wonder maybe those reasons aren't as prominent as we think they are. Maybe we are lacking something even more significant. Uh, Up to this point in this series, Pastor Chris has talked about the importance of prayer and principles of proximity, presence, and proclamation. This morning, I want us to talk about something else as we engage the mission of making disciples, power. And Scripture will teach us the power we need to live out the mission of God is not so much knowledge or boldness Or our ability to break down barriers to different people. The power we need is the power of the Spirit. This is our big idea this morning. The person of the Holy Spirit provides power to participate in the mission of God. Now, before we get too far, let me say one thing. If I'm really transparent, I'm very much in process when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm growing in my biblical understanding and pastoral application of what it looks like to experience a relationship with the Holy Spirit in fullness. I very much identify with a statement from church historian and theologian Richard Loveless. The statement is frequently made that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the most neglected topic in the doctrine and practice of the church. So I I believe the Holy Spirit is the power we need to live out the mission of God, to effectively make disciples of Jesus Christ. But I struggle to understand what that means. Power from the Holy Spirit, referenced in the passage read earlier, it is very much the power we need. The person of the Holy Spirit is actually referenced something like 56 times in the book of Acts as the mission of God advances. So I I told Pastor Chris, if we talk about mission, we need to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in this series. Actually, I said, you need to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in this series. By, By my presence here this morning, you can see how that conversation played out. So here we go. The person of the Holy Spirit provides the power to participate in the mission of God. As we work to better understand this big idea, I want to I engage a couple of questions. What ways does the Holy Spirit provide power to live out the mission of God? Why, do, why do, we need, what do we need the Holy Spirit for? What benefits does the Holy Spirit provide, particularly as we live out the mission of making disciples? And two, why do we struggle to experience the power of the Spirit? I know not everyone in this room struggles, but many of us do. So I want to conclude exploring reasons we sometimes lack the power of the Spirit as we live out the mission. So so let's begin with how the Holy Spirit provides power to live out the mission of God. Our reading earlier was from the first chapter of Acts. Because it was only verses 6 through 8, let's talk about the larger context of that passage for a moment. This section is describing something known as the ascension of Christ. Christ being lifted up to heaven. Between his resurrection and prior to his ascension, Jesus had spent time with his disciples. Verse 3 of chapter 1 in Acts says this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, uh, appearing to them during 40 days. So he's with them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus had spent time teaching his disciples about his coming kingdom. So it makes sense that prior to his ascension, they asked him a question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus doesn't directly answer their question, but in classic fashion provides an alternate answer. Hey, that's not for you to know what the Father has ordained. That's a question that's above your pay grade. But I promised the Holy Spirit would come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Your perspective of my kingdom, it's actually incomplete. You're focused on something local. Jesus clarifies, his kingdom is not the restoration of the political nation of Israel. The power of the Holy Spirit, that's going to focus you on something global. Rather, it is an advancing kingdom, an expanding kingdom that will extend, not just in the location of the nation of Israel, it will extend to the end of the earth. Jesus also clarifies this kingdom advances as God's people live as witnesses. We will return to this concept in a bit, but for now, note this kingdom will not advance through conquest. The, the, the kingdom of God, even though it is a global kingdom, it does not advance through political power. This kingdom advances as God's people live as witnesses. To live as a witness, the people of God must participate in the advancement of God's kingdom. The Holy Spirit will provide this power. This is the first benefit the Holy Spirit provides for us to live out the mission of God. Power to participate in kingdom advancement. Advance, excuse me. Power to participate in kingdom advancement. Now, this probably seems a, a little simple even redundant with the big idea of this sermon. But let me explain why the power of the Spirit is the power to participate in kingdom advancement. So Jesus clarifies the mission. He then ascends to heaven and the disciples go. And there's this gap of time from when they receive the knowledge about participating in kingdom advancement and when they actually do it. How did the disciples live between the time of Christ's ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit? Luke, the author of the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, actually gives us a few clues. If you flip back a few pages in your Bible to the end of the gospel of Luke, here is what you would read that happens after Christ's ascension. Then he, this is Jesus, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. So, in the days prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were not simply withdrawn in a room like many of us think, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Rather, they returned to Jerusalem. They had great joy. They were continually in the temple blessing God. If we return to the book of Acts, and we look at chapter 1, after Christ ascends, we will find Luke describing that before the coming of the Holy Spirit, the life of the Christian community included some things like choosing a man named Matthias to replace the apostleship of Judas Iscariot. And verse 14 describes the unity this the, these believers experienced. All these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So so Luke is telling us prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, early Christ followers had a rich community. They worshiped together. They were of one accord. They were making significant decisions about the life of the community. They prayed together They were filled with great joy, yet something is lacking. The Christian community was incomplete without mission. The disciples were not yet empowered to participate in kingdom advancement. In Acts 2, Luke describes how the Holy Spirit arrives and the disciples are empowered to live on mission. And what follows in the book of Acts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, people sacrifice their lives and livelihood for the sake of others knowing Christ. By the power of the Spirit, people are propelled and possessed to proclaim Christ's death and the reality of the resurrection. A Christian community by the power of the Spirit participates in the mission of advancing God's kingdom. So throughout my years serving as a pastor, I've had the pleasure, uh, maybe a better word is opportunity, to meet with people discontent with what's going on in the church and discontent with the Christian life. They see the power of God at work in the scriptures and they want to experience that power When that is happening, you know, when I meet with someone like that, we will often explore potential sources of that discontent. Is this person praying? Are they reading the scriptures? Are they engaged in the life of the Christian community? Is there sin they need to repent of? If one of the primary reasons the Spirit came is to provide power for God's people to participate in the mission of God, I wonder if we need to have a broader category— that a lack of mission may lead to holy discontent. If we are not sharing the gospel with others, if we are not sacrificing our life and livelihood for the sake of others knowing Christ, should we not expect to be disappointed? First City Church, if we have rich worship on Sunday mornings, if we have gatherings of people meeting throughout the week, if we have rich Bible studies, if we care for one another well, if we are passionate in prayer and we do not live on mission, we will be discontent. The Spirit came to provide power to participate in the advancement of God's kingdom. This is the first aspect of how the Holy Spirit provides power to live out the mission of God. The second is power to proclaim the gospel. So as we said earlier, Jesus clarifies, God's kingdom will not advance through military conquest or political power, but rather through God's people living as witnesses. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this word witness as it is used throughout Scripture, it's referring to someone who testifies. A witness is present in some type of conflict or the presence of opposing viewpoints and will testify to the legitimacy of one of those viewpoints. A witness is passionate. They do not say, hey, you know, that person might be right. That position might be true. What I'm talking about might be true. No, a witness substantiates the truth of a specific person or a particular position. So to testify, a witness does not solely gather with other witnesses. That's a witness protection program. <laughs> or a witness support group. A witness is compelled to proclaim. They may be hounded or confronted, but because of what they have witnessed, because of what they have experienced, they cannot deny or dismiss the experience. And the Christian witness testifying to the power of Christ and work of Christ in their life doesn't just proclaim by the power of their own flesh. Their ability to proclaim is not rooted in their ability to prepare or knowing the answer for every possible objection. The power to proclaim is rooted in the person of the Spirit. I want us to flip back a few pages again to the Gospel of Luke, a little further back this time, to Luke chapter 4. In, In that passage, Jesus begins his earthly ministry of proclamation. And as he begins... What he does is he, un- he enrolls the scroll. And Luke tells us, he reads this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So for Jesus, the Spirit anoints him to proclaim the good news. Prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, he did not teach with such power. Only after the Spirit comes did people question the power and authority by which he spoke. Listen to Pastor Jeff VanderSell. For 30 years, he wasn't preaching with power and authority. He got the Spirit of God on him, and he's preaching with power and authority. Why? Because Jesus is showing us how the human life is to be lived. Jesus is showing us when the Spirit of God comes on men and women, they can proclaim with power the greatness and goodness of our God in such a way that people will go, who is this? And we'll have to say, it's not me. It's Christ in me by his spirit proclaiming to you. Amen. So we had a conversation in the gospel community I'm a part of this past week about why we do not proclaim the gospel to others. And one of the primary reasons we discussed is this lack of knowledge. I don't want to dismiss this entirely as there, there is connection between knowing the word of God and knowing the spirit of God. However, we need to repent of looking to our strength of knowing particular arguments or knowing particular verses to provide the power to proclaim the gospel to others. There have been so many times. I've seen you guys, I've seen others develop relationships with others, they proclaim the gospel. They're excited to talk about to talk about it, and it is very evident the power to proclaim was not rooted in their knowledge. It was a movement of the spirit. The Holy Spirit provides the power to proclaim the gospel. This is the second aspect of how the Holy Spirit provides power to live out the mission of God. The third, somewhat connected to this, is the power to persuade people with opposing perspectives. Obviously, I'm trying to get in lots of P words. (laughs) So I remember a few years back, I was doing an interview with a couple becoming members at Quorum Deo, the church we were at before. And part of the membership process is having individuals share their story of how they became a Christian. And so the husband, he'd grown up part of a very rigid religious background. He participated in its practices. But as he looked back, he saw that while he was a churchgoer, he had actually rejected the grace that Jesus Christ offered him. He believed his ability to participate in religious practice rather than Christ's ability to forgive him is what made him right with God. So I asked him what happened. And he said, it was a conversation I had with you. You talked to me about the gospel. To be honest, I I might remember this conversation. I mean, I think I might, but not really. This is what the Spirit does. It is not just that we have the power to proclaim the gospel to others. This guy, he was opposed to the gospel. He had rejected Christ, but during that conversation, the Holy Spirit persuaded him. Now, you may feel equipped to reach a people group that opposes Christ with a particular background. Maybe you grew up in a religious context, and so you feel equipped to, to reach people from a religious context. Or maybe you grew up in an irreligious context, and so you feel equipped to reach people in an irreligious context. An implication of this text would be the Holy Spirit working in you has the power to persuade a much broader range of perspectives. Well, let's read Acts 1 8 from a different viewpoint again. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus clarified his kingdom would be a global kingdom, and he clarified his disciples will live as witnesses. And one of the implications to the locations Jesus mentions is that when people think about the Holy Spirit providing power for mission, they often refer to how the kingdom advances from a central point and then moves outward. The people of God start with mission in a city like Jerusalem. They spread outward to a region like Judea. They spread even further outward to a region like Samaria. And eventually they spread even further, extending to the end of the earth. This is certainly an application from this passage. The person of the Holy Spirit provides power to push people out of a particular place. If we're counting peas, that's a bonus. This power to push people out of a particular place. For some of you, this happened in the planting of First City. You were living in Omaha or Papillion. You were, you were part of Cormdale Church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you were pushed to relocate. This is what the Spirit does. As the church grows, people are sent out and the Spirit provides passion for a people in a different place. For some of you, this will happen in the future. First City Church is committed to plant churches. We want churches planted throughout the Omaha region. Places like Plattsmouth or Papillion or South Omaha. By the power of the Spirit, you will uproot where you are. You will sacrifice that to be part of a church plant elsewhere. But effectively reaching people with opposing perspectives is far more than relocating. It is empowering us to persuade people with a diversity of backgrounds. People who have different values, different beliefs, different positions. The people groups mentioned in Acts are examples of this. Let's break it down one by one. Jerusalem. While this people group may have included lifelong family or friends of the disciples or a people group with a similar worldview, it also included people who outright rejected Christ. The people here praised Jesus as king and later pleaded for his death. When Peter addresses the people of Jerusalem in Acts 2, he says of them, this Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. On that day, Peter addressed them as the ones who rejected Christ, who killed Christ, who murdered Christ. The book of Acts records 3,000 people were saved. A people that rejected Christ by the power of the Spirit, they are persuaded to follow Christ. Okay, what about Judea? These people encompassed the religious rite of their day. They worshipped the right way. They followed the right religious rituals. But these these people, Jesus said of them, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people had a, a background to embrace right religious ritual, yet their hearts would have been hardened to the gospel. Yet by the power of the Spirit, many will be persuaded to follow Christ. Samaria. So so these people, if the people living in Judea were spiritual purists, the Samaritan were the spiritual pluralists. The Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. They embraced a mixture of religious beliefs. They dabbled in the Jewish faith and the faith of their pagan ancestors. And so because of this, The Gospel of John actually tells us that Jews, the religious right, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. The religious purists, they distanced themselves from the people who embraced a mixture of beliefs. So this people group, they had a much different background. And by the power of the Spirit, many would be persuaded to follow Christ. And to the end of the earth, certainly this means God's people would travel far, but they would also be traveling to a people who worshiped false gods. While the Samaritans at least worshiped a common God, the people to the end of the earth, their worship was despicable in many ways. They embraced practices like murdering babies, embracing false sexuality, sacrificing wealth and resources in erotic and wasteful ways. And again, people with a much different background by the power of the Spirit would be persuaded to follow Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does. We believe there are people living with different worldviews or different values or different cultural backgrounds. We could never persuade them to follow Jesus Christ. But the challenges that arise when encountering people from a different culture or people from a different religion, or people from a different ethnicity, or people with a different racial context, those challenges are not more powerful than the Spirit. Our power is not in our ability to defeat every objection or connect with every person, but in the Holy Spirit. This is the third aspect of how the Holy Spirit provides power to live out the mission of God. Now, but before we conclude, I mentioned I wanted to spend some time talking about why we sometimes struggle to experience power from the Spirit. I have a burden this morning. Some of you, you talk about the Spirit in such personal ways as you talk about living out the mission of God. You say things like, this: the Spirit laid this neighbor on my heart. The Spirit prompted me to ask this person to church or the spirit the spirit told me to go ask this question and have this conversation i 'm so envious of you. I want to experience that, and I want all of us to experience that i 'm also burdened for, for the sense of i 've had the pleasure. I've had the pleasure of leading and teaching others, living out the mission of making disciples for many years, what that looks like as I've been a part of the church. And I know one of the biggest mistakes we make is embracing missional practices, hospitality, proclaiming the gospel to others, reading God's word with others, serving our neighbors, and we do it in our own strength. We talk about principles of praying, proximity, presence, and proclamation. And and we live it out to varying degrees, and yet we burn out. We we feel that the results are less than what we want. And so we dismiss, oftentimes, the power we need for those practices to advance God's kingdom. Why? Well, I think there, there are two key reasons At least that we can talk about this morning, we miss the power of the Spirit in our our lives, particularly as it relates to mission. And the first is we dismiss the promise. The Spirit is a promised gift for the Christian. You do not have to earn the presence of the Spirit in your life. It is not, you do not have to strive for the presence of the Spirit. Receiving the gift of the Spirit, it is not just for a special class of Christian that has had a special experience. Part of experiencing the power of the Spirit is believing the good news of the gospel, which is not just that Jesus Christ died for your sins or that you will spend eternity in heaven, but also that in Christ you have the gift of the Spirit. Acts 1-8 again says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, is, Jesus promises, promises the gift of the Holy Spirit for all of us. This is a promise for every Christian. The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Peter when he's speaking to the people in Jerusalem by the power of the Spirit, he states the promise this way in Acts 2. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So part of experiencing the power of the Spirit is believing the promise. The second reason we struggle to experience the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, is we dismiss the person. There was a church the Apostle Paul wrote to, uh, the church in Thessalonica. He wrote to them about all sorts of theological matters. And as he concluded his letter, he spelled out some important points of practical application for Christian living. Things like rejoicing always praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Things, things that we would all embrace, things we would all agree with. And in that list of foundational practices, he includes do not quench the Spirit. Paul is teaching Christians there is a way we can quench the Spirit. We can dismiss the person of the Spirit in our lives, or or diminish the power we're experiencing from Him. Some of us, because we have seen people misuse the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we avoid talking about the Holy Spirit altogether. We avoid seeking the power of the Spirit. That's something that other Christians do. And because there is something faulty in their doctrine, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We dismiss our need for the person. So we walk in our own strength. Earlier, I quoted historian Richard Lovelace describing how the church has neglect of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Listen to him describe how many Christians dismiss the person. Now, keep in mind, this analogy was written like 50 years ago, so it might be a little bit antiquated. The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof, and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate their relationship with her. I know this is not true for everyone here. Some of you, you very much depend on the person of the Spirit moment by moment. You understand He provides the strength for the Christian life. You understand if you are participating in the mission, if you are proclaiming the gospel, if people with opposing viewpoints are being persuaded, it is a work of the Spirit. This is how we should live. But many of us, we don't live this way. Rather than submit to the Spirit or surrender to the Spirit, we participate in our own strength. Such participation is incomplete, and it it will fail. It will lead to burnout. There is a way we are to live out the mission of God. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to live in the Spirit. As we do, we will experience a passion to proclaim the gospel. We will not burn out or check out or give up. And we will experience a fruitful ministry of persuading others with opposing perspectives. We will see people come to know the gospel. We will see them grow in the faith. Listen to Loveless one more time as he describes how we are to live out such a life. We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. To move into the light concerning his presence in our consciousness, and to open our minds and to share our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. We should continue to walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit, mediated through our knowledge of the Word, relying upon every office of the Holy Spirit's role. For City Church, this is what it looks like to live by the power of the Spirit. May we be that type of people.